Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Well, I'm highly privileged to get to tell you something today. Um, So Jesus is the light of the world. That's the name that we've given this series, this Advent season. And that's a really loaded statement that can sound a little bit vanilla and generic if you're not careful, kind of churchy. So I was thinking uh, about the sun, the S-U-N, like, oh, he's going there already. He's not, not had the microphone for 30 seconds. Um, the sun typically is what we think of as the light of the world in our common thought. If we were to go say, hey, what's the light of the, of the world? Somebody might come back with a, a churchy answer, but they might out there on the street somewhere say, uh, the sun in the solar system is the light of the world. It gives light to keep us warm. It gives light to let us see by. Um, it gives uh, power through solar power. Um, photosynthesis, it causes things to grow, and so isn't that the light of the world? I think that really, now it it has some form and some function, of course, I can see it outside right now, but it's really there to show us what Jesus does and who he is. In fact, the sun doesn't do anything without Jesus having created it to do its form and function, and so I want to tell you today that when we say Jesus is the light of the world, ultimately he is the one who's giving light for us to see by and warmth for us to live by, and power so that we can accomplish things, and growth so that it can happen. So I just want to say that from the outset today, that as we say Jesus is the light of the world, it's really loaded. Now here's the catch. It gets better because there's an invitation on the table for you to be the light of the world in partnership with Jesus. So all that power, all that potential, all that energy that is Jesus being the light of the world, now, because the Holy Spirit, like Joel was just talking about, that's here with us, is actually inside of the people of God to be that engine, to be that propellant for the light of the world to happen. And so if you can somehow get in touch with that, it probably would cause you to to tremble with a couple different emotions. Um, But it's not to scare you, it's to invite you into uh, a reality that is the adventure of your lifetime and the plan of God for things to go forward um, and and progress. So specifically today, Jesus is the light of the world to the lowly. In fact, uh, the shepherd candle um, is what we've lit because it's possible that the shepherds that are really famous in the Christmas story felt lowly and felt overlooked and felt a little bit unseen and outcasted and invisible. And it's real possible that you feel that way, that you felt that way, or that you're nervous that you're about to start feeling that way because of some news you've gotten recently or something. And what we're gonna find is that Jesus is the light, that power of the world to the lowly so that the lowly can be the light of the world to the world. And uh, this came home for me one time. Um, I feel like some of my most profound moments in my life, uh, I'm 41, happened in junior high. And so here's another one. I was on the school bus, and it was kind of a scene out of the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, can't sit here, this seat's taken. Uh, this pitiful accent of how he did it. 
But, you know, there he is, Forrest, trying to find a seat on the bus, and everybody's like sliding to the edge of their seats so that they're, you know, he won't sit next to them. And it's like, you got all this room, just slide over. Don't you like looking out the window anyway? Create some space. Well, this was happening. I was on the back of the bus. I'm about a sixth grader. You're pretty insecure in the sixth grade, typically, and I was. Um, but I started witnessing this thing. This girl got on the bus. I didn't know who she was, but she was very tall, very uh, slim, had thick glasses, stringy hair. Uh, gangly teeth, kind of awkward, and she starts walking down the bus, and you can tell she's, she's looking for somewhere to sit, and nobody is helping the poor girl out. I mean, it's, it's Forrest Gump to a T. They're sliding over, not making eye contact with her, look down, she'll maybe go by, hopefully, and I'm kind of towards the back, and my heart's breaking, and the bus driver makes it worse because he's like, I can't move till you sit down. She's like, um, you know, poor thing, and she's smiling awkwardly, and it's like, we are gonna be at a standstill if somebody didn't come through and save the day on this deal because she's getting nowhere, and he's not moving. And so I just holler, insecure little sixth grader, hey, you can sit here. And I slide over, and Tara sits down was her name, and she just beamed. And uh, I'm not exaggerating at all when I tell you, this was when I was about the sixth grade. She was a year ahead of me, I found out. I got a love letter every single week until she graduated high school. No lie. My mom and dad are probably watching online this morning from Colorado and can attest to it, can't you guys, that I got a love letter from Tara every day because it impacted her because I slipped into something really unknowingly. I didn't know I was being the light of the world in the moment, but I encountered what it, gets to, what it was like to be the light of the world to the lowly and saw it transform her life, I think it really transformed my life, actually, and, and opened the door for me to realize what's possible if you want to partner with Jesus. And so while you may not have an identical description uh, as Tara, she, she, was, she was a mentally handicapped um, person and uh, certainly felt invisible and, and overlooked, I'm sure. Um, but she, she was seen that day, and you might can relate in some way to feeling like, I'm not sure I'm noticed. I'm not sure I'm really wanted. I'm not sure I have some really extravagant things to take pictures of and put on my Instagram story like everybody else it seems like does. Um, I'm kind of feeling insignificant here. Well, if that is you, let me see if I can't pump some hope into you because the story of Christmas with these shepherds is phenomenal if you can stop and really look at what's going on. So Luke 2, verse 8. Luke really is the, the, the best um, kind of detail-by-detail detail, uh, part of the Bible that we have, the Christmas story. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. There's so much there. What, what were they nearby? Well, they were nearby a couple of things. There was, there was a lot happening not very far away from where they were. Uh, one, there was a city not far by, and there may have been some uh, hustle and bustle happening in the city that they could hear about or, or could, could see from afar and, and say, I wish I was over there. I wish I was a part of that scene in the city, but I'm not. I'm out here in the fields. They were also nearby the uh, birthplace of Jesus where that was about to happen. They were nearby some, some real activity uh, happening, and we may feel like we're a long way away from God. But I wanna remind you this morning that you're actually very nearby the miracle activity of God. And, and, and despite what you may can see from your vantage point, you're actually closer than you think because God is closer than you think he is to you today. And the tension of our lives is often, 
I don't love where I am. I don't love what I'm doing. And I'm not sure anybody really sees me anyway. And, and so, so it's possible that you're in a transition or you're you know, answering questions when somebody says, hey, what are you up to right now? You start disclaiming your answers with things like, well, I have this job right now, but it's actually not what I'm planning on doing long term. <laughs> or I'm at school doing this right now in this degree, but I think I'm actually doing this other thing because isn't that better? I mean, isn't that more glorious? Isn't that more profound? Isn't that where all the action's gonna be? And, and so we start kind of giving a, an excuse of why we're only where we are or we're only doing what we're doing. And it's kind of fueled by this idea that it doesn't seem that appealing. It doesn't seem like anybody's really being affected by it right now. And so we start kind of backpedaling. And so it's this tension of I'm not sure why I'm living here. I'm not sure why I'm at this company. I'm not sure uh, why I'm at this particular school. And I'm not sure I'm real useful. And I think that anyone who feels those things, God wants to say to you today, Advent. Advent over your life. God is on the way. God is coming. God is in the place that you are. He's in the tasks that you're doing. And boy, let me tell you, he sees you. And this is what the shepherds were about to discover in a way they never had before. God is always working on your behalf. And during the Advent season, it's easy to think that the only waiting that's going on is us waiting on God. We're just like waiting for God to get me out of this place. Get me, waiting on God to get me out of the what that I'm doing waiting on God to highlight me, to elevate me, to, to promote me to a place where it's, I'm finally visible and can actually do something for him, thank you very much. But what if in Advent there's another element to the waiting going on and it's actually God waiting on you to say yes to the invitation that he's slid across the table to you so that you can say, maybe my place is significant, maybe what I'm doing is really full of purpose, and maybe I'm more seen than I realized I ever was. And if you can get in touch with that truth, then you're gonna flourish in your purpose that is as real right now and relevant right now as it'll ever be in the glory mo moments, if there ever is a glory moment. And that's kind of the lie, right? You're in the glory moment right now where you are, despite what you feel like your conditions are. So verse nine, get a load of this. An angel of the Lord actually appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. While they were being faithful to the very thing that they were called to do is when that happened. God met them in the moment and unfolded the greatest event in history to that point that it had ever taken place to them, the lowly, while they were in the place doing the last thing God invited them to do. And God is always working to reveal his plans and his purposes for your life. It's not on hold. It's all very intentional right now where you are. And there's really more going on here uh, with the shepherds uh, than just a surface level nativity character. Anybody ever play the shepherd part in a, in a school play before? Anybody ever get, you did? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really not hard. I mean, God bless you for doing it, but you really, all, all you gotta do is like have like a robe and a house coat maybe, or a towel and a headband, and they'll sign you up to be the shepherd. There's no lines really you even gotta memorize. If you can find a stick out in the yard, you got the part. And so there you are, you know, being the shepherd, and, uh, and a lot of times we just think, you know, hey, the shepherd is in the nativity. That's just great. No, there's, there's some depth here to the shepherds, and, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about that. So here's the first thing. They lived out in the fields and therefore were cut off from the normal ebb and flow of life. 
I mean, that's, that's the reality of a shepherd then. And so, um, you know, the first part of verse eight says they, they, were, they weren't just hanging out in the fields nearby so they could make the cut of the Christmas story. They actually lived there. This was their home. Can you imagine living in the fields? You know, not, you know, six miles away is Jerusalem. There's Bethlehem right there. It's all close to you, but your home is out here in the fields and uh, no condos, you know, and it's like, I'm not sure that they wanted to do that. Maybe a couple of them said, my dad was a shepherd. My, you know, grandfather was a shepherd. I'm gonna be a shepherd. It's the family business. This is what we do. It's possible some of them, you know, I don't know, maybe one of them had a girlfriend over in Bethlehem and like, I'd really like to be with her over there, but I'm not. I'm over here living in the field or, you know, I've got these great aspirations to do something else, but here I am and I'm ostracized and, and I'm cut off um, and I don't live where anybody else lives. And I'm not the, uh, in this regular rhythm of life and I feel cut off. And so that was a real mindset and reality possibly for these shepherds that they felt isolated. And here's the second thing about them. They were taking care of sheep. Greg, you know about this, huh? I mean, growing up, not, not sheep per se, but um, I just happened to make eye contact with him. When, when we think about what we... <laughs> When we think about that, we think, oh, sheep, that's nice. I mean, that's cuddly and cozy and cute. Um, they were probably animal people. They probably went to veterinarian school or something, and, and this is their line of work, their expertise, a dream occupation. No, being a shepherd was uh, a very demoralizing job, not the thing that you um, aspired to do and to be. And the ironic thing is that they were taking care of these ceremonially clean, is what their job was, to keep them ceremonially clean, the sheep, so that they could be these sacrifices in the temple. And, and, and all the while, they then themselves are not ceremonially clean and can't go in. And they can't be a part of the, of the religious uh, proceedings and, and the worship. And so it's like, hey, we'll take your product. That's necessary, but you're not noble. And so you can't have any part of what it is you spent your life crafting and doing. I mean, how demoralizing to, to, to pour your life into this, this product, this, this, this sheep, to make him blemish-free so that he's the prize one of all when you bring the, the, the flock in. They're like, yes, you've done such an amazing job. They're not really saying you've done such an amazing job. They're saying the sheep looks amazing. We'll take it. Now get away. And so that's what their occupation is. They're, they're taking, that's the what of what they're doing, thank you, is just taking care of these sheep unappreciatedly. And such pursuits are mean and inglorious. Uh, the Hellenistic Jewish philosopher Philo wrote about being a shepherd. He said that it's mean and inglorious. Now, mean not meaning like it's angry. Mean meaning it's average. It's vanilla. It's, it's uh, nothing special. And so maybe you found yourself before what you have deemed nothing special. Like if I, if I were to chronicle my eight to five, I mean, I... I, I stare at boxes all day, coming down a conveyor belt at Amazon or something, I don't know. I mean, we get all kinds of ideas in your head and you say, how is this making a difference? How is this making uh, any progress towards my life dreams or towards the building of the kingdom of God? What is so special about this? That's what the shepherds likely thought as they were tending sheep. Number three, they were up all night, shepherds were. In other words, they were inverted from what normal humans uh, would do. We talk about the, the sun being the light of the world. Well, typically, you're supposed to be awake when it's light outside and asleep when it's dark outside. Now, maybe you have had a job before where you've had to work all night. Anybody worked that job? Anybody worked that job last night and you're just showing up to church today? Yeah? 
Well, way to go. I'm glad you're here, dude. You're looking better than some of the people around you who got a full night's rest. What do they call, anybody know what they call that shift? The graveyard shift. Why do they call it the graveyard shift? Because if you do it long enough, it's likely to put you in the grave because humans weren't meant to do that over the long term. Now, if that's, you know, if, if you're a shepherd and that's, you're gonna have a grace for it, maybe a call to do it, then God bless you. But over the long haul, we're supposed to be awake when the sun's up, asleep when it's down, and these shepherds were upside down from the normal flow of, of life for people. So, so they feel like they're invisible because nobody's awake to see what they're doing. There's nobody coming by on the donkey saying, hey, fantastic job with the sheep tonight, guys. I mean, these guys are really looking good. No wolves got them, it looks like. They're all you know, behaving inside their little pen that you got made there. Um, way to go. There's no acknowledgments of that. And so it's like thankless and it's invisible. And does anybody even see that I'm doing this? They all wanna have their worship session you know, next week with all these sheep, but nobody even knows I exist. And these shepherds had this shift and had to deal with the reality that they feel invisible. And so we're building up to why the angel is coming to them to tell them the the news that's going to change their lives forever. And I think a major dilemma, dilemma for us is that we feel stuck in the what and the where and the feeling invisible. And the feeling of being stuck is a real feeling. We get in a place and we feel like, I'm stuck in that place, and I I don't know how I can get out of it. I'm trying to get out of it. My wheels are turning. I'm pressing the gas down, but there is no forward progress happening here. Well, here's a couple reasons why we get stuck. We get stuck because we can't see where our position is taking us. Where does this road go anyway? Where, Where does that path lead? I thought I knew I thought there was something at the end of that road. I thought I could see it. Now it's enshrouded with clouds and I'm not really sure that this is even the path to get to where I thought I was supposed to be going. And so, since we can't see where our position now is taking us, we feel stuck. And I wonder how many people have been demoralized because you had a dream and it's been, I don't know, X amount of months or years now and you're like, I cannot see any way I'm closer to that dream. And so you you might say, I feel stuck. I'm still going to the job. I'm still going to the place. I'm on my commute. But even on the way to the job or to the place that I feel stuck in, I'm already rehearsing the demoralization in my mind about how this feels empty. And this feels like it doesn't have any punch to it, any purpose to it. See, I wanna remind us today that we have an option instead of feeling stuck. And the option is what these shepherds became empowered to do And that's to keep watch. Keep watch over the flock by night. And when they got a hold of this invitation to keep watch, now all of a sudden all these feelings of being stuck started to dissipate and go away because purpose started to rebuild inside their life. I think the question that we could ask today is, oh God, what have you given me to keep watch over? Who have you given me to keep watch over? It might be a person. It might be a, a place. It could be a process. It could be a product. But here's what I know. I know that every single one of us have a divine invitation to keep watch over somebody. And when you begin to see your life like that, 
all of a sudden you start getting, you start conjuring up this, this desire inside of you like you've never had. All of a sudden now, working at the Amazon conveyor belt, I don't even know if there are conveyor belts at Amazon, if, work, working at your job that maybe seemed monotonous and just routine and mundane and boring and, and thankless, all of a sudden now you're like, wait a second, there's an assignment here to keep watch. And it might be to keep watch over Bob, who, ne- who, who works next to me on the conveyor line, typically, except when, you know, it's, it's Sally, and then maybe something's going on with Sally there too. But if I can start to have my head kind of on this swivel, and I say, I'm really an undercover box watcher, really, I'm a Bob and I'm Sally watcher, and I start to think in those directions, and I start to plan for that, and pray for that, and dream about that, now the question of, I'm not sure I can see where I'm going anyway, kind of gets shoved to the side. And the questions I start asking is, oh, what's going on in Bob's life? And I wonder if I can start a community group with him. I wonder if he eats breakfast. If he eats breakfast, I bet he eats breakfast. I eat breakfast. I like breakfast. Let's have breakfast once a week before our shift starts. And now I'm keeping watch over the flocks in my field by night, by day, by lunchtime, by morning time, by whenever it is. And it's a game changer And all of a sudden, that feeling of, I can't get out of the mud here, is not the the reality anymore. Now you're a watchman who's keeping guard over people or places or a process that your boss has said, hey, um, you know, this isn't working. Wish it would work. Goodbye. And you're thinking, I wonder how we can make that work. I wonder how that could be better. Now it's a process. God's inviting you to keep watch over and your, your imaginative and creative juices start flowing and you have purpose in an otherwise vanilla uh, task or a product, or whatever it is. There are all kinds of things that God is saying, keep watch over flocks in the field at night in your life. Have you identified them? Have you stepped into it? But it's a trap we fall into, and so instead, purpose yourself to keep watch. Joseph in the Old Testament's a good example of this. You probably know his story. Joseph got thrown into the pit by his brothers, and uh, they were mean uh, brothers, and they were jealous of him, and so they said, hey, let's get rid of him, and they threw him into a pit, and he probably felt stuck in the pit. He's, he's got this, you know, great prophecy of his life, over his life, and he's his dad's favorite son, and he's a dream interpreter, and there's dreams in him because of his gift, and now he's stuck in a pit, can't get out of the walls, and then they, they, they say, here's the gypsies, we'll sell him into slavery, and that's more betrayal, and then he goes uh, to Potiphar's house, and quickly... <laughs> rises up uh, to become somebody there, and then he gets betrayed all over again by Potiphar's wife and sold, um, uh, put in prison is what happens, and so now he's stuck in the prison, feeling stuck again, hello, and then he becomes uh, a, a pretty dynamic player in prison and impacts these guys in prison's life, and then they get out of prison and say, well, remember you, but they don't remember him. They forget about him, and so now he's like, oh, I keep reliving the same verse in my life. I'm stuck again. I've been stuck all my life, I feel like, and I've got all this dreams and potential and purpose, and finally, at the end of the day, God raises him up to be the second uh, in, in power in all of Egypt, the world power at the time. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream of a famine coming. And, he, and because of that, they can be proactive and store food and save the day. His brothers, remember, that originally sold him into slavery, return. And when they find out that it's their little brother Joseph, they're like, oh, woe is us. This is where revenge happens. And he says, no, it's not revenge that, that I'm going to serve you. It's actually provision and forgiveness and life that I'm going to give you because here's the deal. I'm in God's place. You sold me, but God had me here all the time. Potiphar's wife betrayed me, but God had me here. 
The prison guys betrayed me, but God had me here. All of it was that I could be here in my place to keep watch over the thing that God was invited me to ultimately. And Joseph's life is not different than your life. It's not different than my life, that we all have this invitation to keep watch over some really important things that are gonna be really transformational in some people's lives. And it ought to light your jets a little bit. So the other question that we're asking is not just where, why am I here and I can't see the way forward, but what am I doing? People are looking at their role, their task. I think God wants us to replace that question with what can I watch over? And so I just wanna bless you with your mind this morning to hear the Lord and hear the Holy Spirit start to give you ideas of what, the new what in your life, a new what, a new person. And so even as we're talking this morning, you might start just kind of in your spirit asking the Lord, what am I watching over? What have you put in my path? What am I not seeing that you're seeing? And see what he says to you. Because um, it, it may not automatically correlate with the lofty dreams that you have in your heart. And you need lofty dreams in your heart. God's put those dreams in your heart. He's, he's partnered with you so that you can have lofty dreams. But sometimes the lofty dreams that we have um, they're not exactly worked out the way we think that they're gonna work out. And actually, when we start keeping watch over some things that maybe we think are a couple rungs lower down the ladder, all of a sudden, we find the fulfillment in that and realize that this is actually the loftiest dream of all. And this is where I become the best version of myself. Because it's possible you feel like the world's racing past you and everybody's getting to do some things that, that you're not getting to do. I remember having a little baby uh, for the first time. Got four babies now that are growing up. But I was thinking about Dustin. You know, he preached last week, and and him and Caitlin, they got them a new model, a little Hattie. And it's a uh, it's a it's a time in your life where you have this clear assignment to keep guard over this precious baby. And Hattie's not always going to need to be kept watch over by them because eventually she's gonna grow older and she's gonna be able to keep watch over herself in some places. Maybe she'll meet an incredible guy who will marry her and he'll help keep watch over her. Dustin's saying no. <laughs> but for right now, these guys have to keep watch, get to keep watch. And even after the, the, the euphoria of having a kid wears off, you're like, yeah, we don't really eat or sleep or shower ourselves anymore because we're keeping watch over somebody else and it's the right assignment, and there's fulfillment and gratification in it. But in the same way as the obvious nature of a baby, there's something equally, maybe not obvious on the surface, but important for you to keep watch over. And you have a baby of sorts in your life, and God wants to show you what that is so that you can keep watch over it. Because if you do, it won't only transform that that you're watching over, it'll start to transform yourself as well. And God's looking for people to show up to their jobs and say, this is what God has given me to keep watch over today. If this becomes a revelation for you, what a game changer it will be as you head into work tomorrow, as you start to commute your way to what you've done for a long time, but if you have a new approach and you have a new assignment that you're in touch with, oh my word, what am I doing now goes away and, oh God, how can I be a good watchman is the new question that you start asking in your life. And you know, these shepherds possibly had an inkling that something majestic was gonna happen in the fields, possibly. So how do you know that? Well, 
Here's a big word, the Targums, which was the, the, the Hebrew scriptures interpreted into the common day language, which was Aramaic. So these shepherds would have spoken the, the Aramaic tongue that Bethlehem and the surrounding cities were speaking. And so there was this prophecy that in these very fields out nearby Bethlehem was gonna be the place where the king was gonna be instated, the king of the earth. And then nobody had ever seen it happen yet, but they had heard, and it's possible these shepherds who were outcast and cut off from life still had heard the rumors that out in these very fields that they spend night after night, that there might have been, uh, there might be a, a, a coming of something incredible. Not sure how it's gonna look. But here's what's amazing to me. The very real possibility that they knew that, they could have easily been like, hey, we're gonna punt shepherding to the curb and we're gonna set up the king of the kingdom's watch society and we're gonna like maybe take, you know, make a new career for ourselves and hey, you know, five bucks, come on through, set up a lawn chair and wait for what might be happening here. But they didn't do that. Even knowing what might have come in the fields possibly, they still just stayed the course and stayed with the original task that they had been given and uh, when the angel of the Lord came, one of the shepherds may have elbowed the other one and said, see, I told you I'd heard about this. I, I heard that this could happen. This, this, might, this might have been coming and it's come, it's here, it's really, really happening. And what if they had given in? What if they had said, you know what? This shepherding thing is for the birds. Nobody sees us. Nobody knows we're here. Nobody appreciates us. We're ceremonially unclean. We're outcasts. People spit on us. Forget this, I'm out of here. And when the angel of the Lord showed up to the last place that God put them on assignment, all the angel found were some empty Dixie cups on the ground where they used to be. And it's like, hey, where'd everybody go? Well, the, the shepherds got tired of doing this night after night after night. They finally gave in. They said, this keeping watch business is for the birds. I'm out of here. But they didn't do that. They were in position to receive well the greatest thing that had ever happened on the earth. If you stay in position and don't lose heart, you're gonna be in position well for the Lord to knock the doors off of the life around you with his greatness through you because you stayed there. They kept being faithful to the flock even though somebody among them may have known this was gonna happen and it's really admirable when you find a person who's like, hey, I'm, I'm still on the course that God invited me to be on. And number three, their visibility was a real factor because it's possible that they felt like, hey, nobody's seeing me here and you felt that way and I'm not sure that I'm visible at all. Well, guess what? God sees you and he won't have a hard time finding you when you're in the place that he's invited you to be. Moses, another shepherd of our, of our Bible story, uh, history, uh, you know, he had just killed a guy in Egypt and he fled and he's on the backside of nowhere tending the sheep again of his uh, father-in-law Jethro's herd and probably thinking, what am I doing with my life? You know, I was back in, in, in Egypt as a prince and now here I am a shepherd and I feel invisible, but he was in position doing the very thing that God had invited him to when the bush catches fire and doesn't burn and there's this invitation to be the deliverer of the people of God and the dream now has taken a new shape, but it's as fulfilling and as impactful on the rest of the people of God as almost anything was, all because he was in position to receive when the voice of, of God and the invitation came through. David's another example, the youngest of the brothers of the sons of Jesse, and, and the, the prophet comes by and says, hey, God's anointing a new king, and I think he's in your family, and I think he's one of your sons, Jesse, and so where's your sons? He's looking at them all. He's like, these guys aren't it. Do you have any more? I got one. Well, where's he? 
Well, he's in the field, he's a shepherd, and he's watching the sheep. Well, go get him. And so he comes, and within an hour of time, perhaps, David goes from being a lowly shepherd to being the next king of Israel because he was faithful in being right where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. God can change the plans and the promise can come to fulfillment in a minute of time when you are step-by-step doing the thing that God's invited you to do. And there's a bit of a, a roadmap for us here that I want us to see before we close. It's Psalm 37, and it says, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. This is a parallel track for us because it relates to what we're talking about of staying the course and not giving in and not giving up on where you're at and what you're doing and what God can do with you. And there may be people who are trying a whole lot less than you to walk with God and it seems like they're getting advancements. Maybe they're jumping right over your head and you're like, yeah, but they're doing it with some really thin margins. I'm not sure that that's really ethical what they're doing, but yet they're still getting the advancements. They're still getting the promotions. They're still moving forward and they're having a better time in life and everything's going great for them. And you spy somebody's you know, social media and you're like, look at their amazing life. All I got to take a picture of is my plant <laughs> or my cat, but my cat won't get in the picture, so all I got is my plant. And they've got this incredible life and all these incredible friends and these incredible opportunities and it feels like I'm getting passed by. And I think it's the heart of what the psalmist is saying that if you're watching everybody else pass you by, don't fret over that. For verse two, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord, therefore, and do good. That's Advent. That's the plan. That's the application. How do we position ourselves to believe that where we are is, is in the promise over my life for God? And while I'm trusting, I'm gonna do good in that place. While I'm watching boxes pass by every day, I'm gonna keep doing good. Whatever good opportunities there are to do in whatever moment I find myself in, count me in for that. I'm gonna be doing good in that thing because I know that's where God's gonna find me. No one is invisible in the economy of God is what I'm trying to tell you. How does that truth work itself out? Because that sounds like a good holiday message, trust in the Lord and do good. It works itself out by constantly saying, Lord, I'm trusting in you and I'm believing in the promise over my life. So how do I know that's true? Look at the shepherds. The shepherds are our example. Why are they even in the Bible? Why are they in the nativity story? To remind us that if we keep watch faithfully, then God sees us and he's gonna use us and we don't have to be feeling like we're stuck. And I mean, what if when the angel appeared, you know, Nobody's there, and that's a big deal. Think about that. We're gonna meet these shepherds one day, likely, in heaven, and gonna be able to say, hey, what did you do? And they're like, I was a shepherd. Oh, really, neat, when? Uh, Christmas night. Wow, where? In the fields nearby. You mean you were one of them? Mm-hmm. That, that's an incredible resume story. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good gig to have. I mean, maybe Mary's got you beat, but she's about the only one. What'd you do? I had Jesus. Well, I didn't have him, but I was right next to her when she had him. And I got to be the first eyewitness of it. And I got to be the first person to tell somebody about it. And you can have an equally amazing story if you'll keep watch and identify the places around you that God's breathing on, the people around you. I mean, what if when community groups in your local church come around, rather than saying, ah, it's not really that convenient for me, maybe there's a better offer on the table that night or something, 
you start to say, who do I have to keep watch over? Oh, it's Bob and Sally at work. What if I start making them kind of the mission and I'm keeping watch over them, keeping guard over them, thank you. That's what keeping watch means. It means guarding them and, 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 and being a fence of protection and being a voice of hope in their life. Now, all of a sudden, a community group opportunity isn't, well, I'll do it if I can. It's a, it's a charge of I'm keeping watch over some people. I'm keeping guard over, over a, a process or a product or a place that God's put me in. And, and, and the visibility factor is I can see where God's working. He can see me and I can see him. And that's the application in our life. Um, it's possible that we bail out too quick and we don't wanna do that. And so verse 37 says, take delight in the Lord, verse four, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so it's not a sacrifice of, well, woe is me, I'll just keep watch over these low things that aren't near as exciting as the dreams I had. It's not a two separate thing. It's not a love God and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So you, well, God, I love you. So you'll give me these desires over here. It's a love God. And as you start to love God, you realize he's the desire of your heart. Partnership with him is a real desire that's buried inside of you that's now coming up out of you. And there's nothing you want more. There's no dream bigger than the dream of partnering with the Lord to be transformative in people and places, lives. And that's how it works is, is as you trust in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart to be amazing. And so I'll give you one more application story um, that was a game changer f- for me. And again, I feel like some of the things that, that I've been a part of that I've seen God move were probably more for me to witness than they were for the person to get the miracle. I tell this story in our Next Steps lunch um, because it's so applicable. So you may have heard it, but I had this guy, this friend named David, who uh, was in a community group with me for about three years. And he had this girlfriend named Amanda and she had um, a brain tumor develop on her brain, and she had to get it removed. And so we began to pray, and we began to ask the Lord to uh, deliver her of this evil. Um, and so she had the surgery. They found out that it was benign, which was good news. It wasn't a cancerous tumor. They, they were successful in getting it off. And it's, it's like there's this celebration when you get the report that, hey, it's not cancerous and, and God saved the day and they got the tumor off and, and, and she looks like it's good. And so you start celebrating, yes, high-fiving, God did it. And then the text comes that they accidentally nicked an, opt- an optic nerve ending in the back of her eye and turned her eye sideways in the surgery. And she woke up and her eyes sideways. And you're thinking, oh no, Lord, I thought you were in it. I thought, you were, I, th- I thought you were answering the prayer all along, but, but now she's got a, an equally big problem. And so it's like, is she gonna have surgery again? I don't know. We gotta go back to praying. We go back to the drawing board and asking the Lord to save the day on Amanda's eye. And so she sleeps a couple nights and it's on the third morning that she wakes up and she looks in the mirror and her eye has self-corrected and it's back to straight again. She... Uh, they sent us the digital images. We could see all of it on, on a scan on, the fo- on your phone. It, it's not sp- over-spiritually and syrupy when you get an actual text of an of a image that you can see what God did, how he put his hands on something, and it, it completely, this is what it was like, and this is what it's now like, and, and praise the Lord. And so we start celebrating and, and, and praising again, and it's amazing, and, and, and it's fantastic. And I really think that that story was as much for some of us that got to participate as believing faith people in prayer to have our faith transformed and elevated as much as it was for her eye to be recorrected. But here's an observation, is that it's really easy to 
see God show up, and then all of a sudden scratch your head as to why something else is wrong now or something else happened. And you're like, I thought you were there, God. And so then you start wondering, God, are you even here? Are you even in the place? And then something else great happens and you start celebrating, hoorah, God's on the throne, he did it again. And then you yo-yo back because you hear of something else and something else didn't happen. And you start being like, man, I feel like I'm on this yo-yo path with God. And, 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 and which way you know, are you gonna go, God? Are you gonna save the day? Or are you gonna leave us wondering? And the truth is, God is sovereign over it all. And, and he knew before the tumor ever developed that he was going to bring that eye back to straight, even when we were in the valley of in-between saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? And so if you're in a valley moment right now where you've seen God show up, but now you're not sure where he is in this next thing, know that he's got the answer as it comes back up, as as it's gonna climb back, that he's sovereign still, that he's got a plan, that he's got a, a promise over your life that's still coming to fruition, and don't bail before it's time. Don't leave it. Don't say, I guess he's out of this one. We'll just go off to the next thing and create our own. Stay in partnership with Jesus because he's not abandoning ship and he's not looking past what you feel like is on the table of urgency. And so I wanna close this morning by praying over something specific if I could. I just felt like the Lord um, has hope to give when it comes to jobs, when it, when it comes to your occupation. And so I wanna pray over two people this morning if I could. And, and if this does not relate to you, then congratulations, you're the ministry team. If you manage people, if you give instructions tomorrow at work, if people are looking to you to kind of get their assignment, would you just stand for a minute? You manage people. I feel like the Lord is giving fresh eyesight to see the people in a little bit different light tomorrow. And I feel like he is wanting to give you um, maybe even some specifics and some assignments with some people in, in particular. Maybe even highlight some names to you and give you some opportunity um, to keep watch over these people. And where you might have been keeping watch kind of by the book, Now he's giving you some creativity to keep watch in a way that maybe nobody's ever kept watch over that person before. If you're around one of these people that are standing, I just want you to put a hand on them and I want you to begin to just ask the Lord to release new ideas, new eyesight, new vision. In other words, Amanda's eye was sideways, but now God's turning the eye straight on so you can see the person in a way, the people in a way that you've never seen them before. You can begin to give... um, resources to what they need. Maybe, maybe they've shared it. Maybe they hadn't shared it. Maybe God's speaking to you divinely. Yeah, let it be more than work. Let it be more than a paycheck. Yeah, new tenderness, new tenderness towards people, new pathways to relate in Jesus' name. Yeah, a paternal, almost a paternal fathering to the people. 
They don't, they don't even see you all the time necessarily as, as boss. They see you as a father. They see you as a mother. The way you handle them is kind and gentle, but it's challenging. It calls the best out of them. It's leadership redefined in a new way in your own life. Yeah, I believe, I believe that it's a gift this Christmas, this Advent for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for new ideas, new understanding, the richness of leadership. Yeah, if you're still, if you're still praying over somebody, keep doing it. And then here's another, here's the final group that I want to pray over. If you feel stuck in your job, you feel stuck. Maybe you need a job. Would you stand up, maybe even raise your hand? I'm stuck at work right now. I'm stuck in my job. I need a breakthrough. Something with work isn't working. I need, I need more money. It's not enough money right now. It could be anything with your, with your job. Would you stand up right now? I believe that breakthrough can come when you humble yourself to respond to the invitation of the Lord. Not that he can't get you another way. I just feel an anointing on, the, on, on our, our morning right now to pray for breakthrough in people that feel stuck at work. So same thing, if somebody's still standing, would you pray right now that they would have a way to get unstuck? It may be practical, it may be mindset, but it's not God's will for you to feel stuck. That's not, that's not where you're supposed to just go every day. I feel stuck at work, I'm back to feeling stuck. Come with with fresh energy and power, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for the power that is in your hands, light of the world. And we call on you today, good Father, to turn the wheels where we feel like they're not turning and where it's been like a, a single axle. It's all axles involved now. It's more power. And Jesus, I thank you for the comfort and the peace that comes and being able to to pocket our dreams in you. And so we make the declaration over every soul in the room today, over anybody who would watch a, a, an online stream even weeks later, 
that as far as it goes for our work, the work of our hands, the work of our minds, Lord, that it would be productive and that it would be sufficient and that it would be more than a job. I bless jobs in here with being the very catalyst that brings salvation, that bring deliverance, that bring healing, that bring healthy minds and thinking and healthy belief patterns. It all happened through work. It happened through the job force because you were in it and you did it. We thank you for that. I thank you that today is the day of salvation. I thank you, Lord, that if anybody's in this room and they're like, this all sounds fantastic, but I really don't know what we're talking about because I don't know Jesus. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for anybody in the room today or watching online who needs an encounter with you to know your love, to know you for the first time, Jesus. Prayer teams, if, if you're a ministry partner, would you come up here at the front? And as I dismiss us, if you need to know Jesus, today is a fantastic time. And these guys can pray with you and introduce you to the one who loves you, who created you, who has dreams for you, and who has assignments and invitations for you to keep watch over that will cause you to flourish in ways you never have and become the person you've never been before. We love you, Lord. I bless you, church. Let's worship together.